sermon this morning is based on God's Word as we have it faithfully summarized, and the Lord gives us truth to how to live passionately for Him. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to complete the work, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us, further that we ourselves may be assured of our approach by his grace, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. The sermon we will hear this morning is from the hand of Dr. Wes Bradenhoff, minister of the Providence Episcopal Reformed Church in Hamilton, Ontario. The sermon ends in a short prayer, after which we will sing a response from Psalm 139. Let's stand for God's word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, C.S. Lewis begins his book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the Chronicles of Narnia, in a memorable way. Quote, there was a boy called Eustace Clarence Grubb, and he almost deserved it. His parents called him Eustace Clarence, and masters called him Scrub. I can't tell you how his friends spoke of him, for he had none. Later in the book, the intolerable Eustace Clarence Grubb was changed into a hideous and ferocious dragon. One might think that such a boy would enjoy his new identity when he did at first. But in time, he changed as Lewis did. Lewis writes, It was very dreary being a dragon. He hated his huge bat-like wings, the saw-edged ridge on his back, and the cruel curved claws. One day, a lion came to visit the dragon and told him as follows. The lion, as legends say, brought the dragon to a pool of clear water. Eustace wanted to go in, but Aslan told him that first he had to undress. At first he didn't know what this meant, but then he remembered that he was a reptile-like dragon, and reptiles were his kin. So he started scratching, and eventually his skin peeled off. But as he looked at his reflection in the water, he looked no different than before. So he tried two more times, and the end result was no different each time. Still a comfortable dragon. Finally, the lion spoke. You will have to let me undress. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you that I was pretty near desperate then. So I just lay flat on my back and let him in. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right through when he began pulling the skin off, I heard words that came from my own closet. Afterwards, Eustace jumped in the pool and realized the 
he can turn into a boy again. But the story didn't stop there, for afterwards, Aslan threatened him with his sword. Doesn't that beautifully echo what Christ does for us? Christ is the one who saves us from a king's death, one far worse than being a dragon. Christ is the one who strips off the old clothes, washes us, and dresses us anew. From beginning to end, Lord's Day 32, we come to the third part of the Catechism. This part has the title, Our Thankfulness. We might be tempted to think that this is going to be all about us. We messed things up in the first section with our sin and misery. God redeemed us in the second part with our salvation in Christ. And now with the third part, we get to do our part in showing our thankfulness. But if we're thinking this way, the Catechism stops us in our tracks. The first question wants to pull us into a man-centered direction. We're saved by grace alone through Christ. Then why must we do good works? But the answer begins not with us, but with Christ. Notice those two words, because of Christ. He is first and foremost saved. It makes you think of those two other great words in Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. In the first verses of Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are dead in trespasses and sins, by nature children of wrath. And then in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Likewise, here in the Catechism, we get a bit of the initiative, as Christ does. He is first and foremost. His grace extends to our entire salvation. And what a rich and full salvation we are going to have in him. That will be our theme this morning as we consider this great grace. We'll look in the first place at how he redeems us with his blood. And then also how he redeems us with his grace. Up till this Lord's Day, the Catechism has been primarily concerned with our redemption in Christ's blood. After establishing that we are in fact sinners who deserve temporal and eternal punishment, we're reminded that there is a way of escape. It's through a mediator and a deliverer who is a true and righteous man and at the same time God. All those will be saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Starting with Lord's Day 7, we're reminded of all that is promised us in Luke's gospel by way of the Apostles' Creed. From front to back, the creed is about what the thriving God does in the entire of the gospel. Then in Lord's Day 23, we learn that justification is by faith alone, and that is, it is entirely grounded in the work of Christ. Following that, we explore how that faith is created and renewed in the word, and strengthened by the sacraments. Just prior to this Lord's Day, the Catechism explains the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we note that these keys are about our redemption. The preaching brings us into our redemption, and church discipline guards us from that sin. So when the Catechism says here that Christ has redeemed us by his blood, this is nothing new. But just because it's familiar doesn't mean that we don't ask it. In fact, an important part of the ministry of his word is to redeem the story of redemption in history. It's biblical. 
Christ often repeated himself and reminded his followers of what was important. The Apostle Peter learned well from his master. In 1 Peter 1, verse 12, we read, So I will, will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in them, and now have them. Paul said the same in Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a great pleasure for me to do so. The Lord Jesus, Peter, and Paul reminded their listeners and readers of things they already knew, for this is what they knew. And so when the Catechism does that here again, we ought to heed that teaching. It always gives for us to be reminded of the gospel. We find that beautiful good news announced in every branch of verse 28 of chapter 6. Right now, I just want to focus on the last two verses. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. As a quick aside, this is a great passage to memorize. Note the kind of language that Paul is using. It's a building, a temple, what Peter calls a spiritual house. Let's take the image a step back. Before God's work, there was no temple. Instead, there was a pile of ugly rubble. But guess what? God bought that rubble. You were bought at a price. What was the price? According to 1 Peter 1, verse 19, it is the precious blood of Christ. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul told the Ephesian elders, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The rubble is the house of God. You were rubble, a heap of lifeless stones. You were dead in sins and trespasses. There was nothing, absolutely nothing in you to make God love you or desire you. Quite the opposite, though. Like death. You were bought with nothing less than the price of the blood of the only begotten Son of God. God gave his own Son for you. I don't know about you, but I can't wrap my head around that. Truly amazing. Titus 2 verse 14 gives us the same sequence of words, speaking about our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. That the Holy One through whom all things were created gave himself for you. Because our salvation was bought at such a high price, we have an incomparably rich salvation in Christ. Is it any wonder that the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb in Revelation 5 and say, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ has Now we say that, but do we truly know what that means? Do we know what he has purchased or redeemed with us? Not yet. His precious blood. But I don't know if we often ask the next question. From what? R.C. Sproul often tells of how he encounters three evangelists who will ask him, are you saved? And he always replies, 
Jason 1. He says that most of them can't give him a clear answer. Similarly, we should ask, to whom, from what? Peter gives us the beginning of the answer in 1 Peter 1, verse 16. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, redeemed from the empty way of life. Galatians 3, verse 13 brings us closer yet to the answer when it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That empty way of life was under the curse of the law. But a curse is something personal. Inanimate objects are not cursed. A person is cursed. With the law, who is doing the cursing? The author of the law, God. We are redeemed by Christ from the curse of God, which rests upon the empty way of life. That's exactly what we read in Romans 5, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Saved from what? Redeemed from what? From the wrath of a holy and righteous God. The wrath that he deserves. Only the blood of Jesus can turn away that wrath from us and we to Christ. Believe in him That's not a message that does well today. Never has. The gospel is always offensive. It's offensive because it tells us to keep as we really are, as we got from the beginning. It's offensive because it tells us the way things truly are, that there is only hope through the blood of Jesus Christ offered once on the cross. We need to be constantly fixated on him as he is doing the offensive work. If we don't, the end result will be how theologian H. Richard Niebuhr describes Protestant liberalism that has been popular in the last century. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment where Christ is the prophet. That kind of good news is a lie, and it will not save us, and it will not change the heart of the prophet. The catechism gets it right and reminds us again of how things are. Christ has delivered us from God's curse on our sin through his blood. Beloved, that is a truth that can transform lives, and that's what we're going to look at next. Answer 86 continues by telling us that the same Christ who redeemed us through his blood also redeems us by his Holy Spirit through his word. There are two different things confused here. When we speak about the redemption through Christ's blood, that's referring to our justification. When we speak about the renewal through Christ's Spirit, that's speaking about our sanctification. Sanctification is about the process of renewal in our lives, where we are being made into somebody new, someone who looks like Jesus Christ. This is what's in view when Titus 2 verse 14 speaks about Christ being the one who purifies for himself a people that are his very own. Now, the Catechism says that this is done by the Holy Spirit. We might take that a step further and ask, how? How does the Holy Spirit do this work of renewal? The Spirit works through means, or an instrument, a tool. That tool is the Word of God. The Scriptures are the sword of the Spirit, according to Ephesians 6, 7. 
meaning that not only does the Bible come from the Spirit, it is also the weapon or instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish God's purposes. The Word is like claws of Aslan, stripping us of our old clothes and dressing us in the new. So, Christ renews us by His Spirit to put to use His Word. But to what end? What's the purpose? The Catechism gives us a threefold purpose. The first and most important has to do with God, that we may show our thankfulness to Him and so that He will be praised by us. Here again, we can think of what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Remember the image there at the end of the chapter is of a builder noted that God bought the building materials. Though those materials were a mess, a pile of rubbish. Well, God also took those materials and built something out of them. He built a temple. What's the purpose of a temple? It's a building meant for sacrifices. But because Christ has been sacrificed once and for all for our sins, the sacrifice offered in the new temple can't have anything to do with atoning for sin. Only one sacrifice left for the believer to make in heaven, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So New Testament temples exist for expressing thankfulness, praise, and love to God who saved us. Our bodies, in fact our whole life, belongs to God and is dedicated to his service. Therefore, first purpose has to do with God. The second has to do with ourselves. That we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its purpose. When Christ renews us with his spirit and produces these fruits, we will become more certain of our faith. The catechism uses the expression fruits. We can't help but think of trees and ripeness. We are grafted Because his sap is flowing from our branches, fruit is going to emerge. And if we see that fruit, we know for sure that we've been grafted into the kingdom. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit, fruit, fruit of our grafting in Christ by his we come to the third purpose, that by our godly walk of life we may win the hearts of people for Christ. In other words, Christ will work through our godly walk of life for God and his glory. Renewing us by his spirit is his way of renewing us with his blood. We see this in Titus 2, where Paul gives a series of exhortations to Titus. He tells him to instruct the older women in the faith, younger women, to love their husbands and self-controlled and pure, to be at home and kind and subject to their husbands. Why? So that no one will malign and blaspheme the word of God. Paul is interested in seeing behavior which does not provoke a negative response towards God and towards his son. He turns this a slightly different way in verse 10 to his writing about how Titus is instructed to live. They're to be subject to their masters and so forth. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Christ wants to use his renewal in our lives as a way to draw others to himself. 
catechism speaks about it in an unrestricted way. And if we draw that, our, that out, we know that we are only man. Ultimately, it is all Jesus. Part of his eternal salvation for us and for others. Now, given all that, we come to a different question. In those early crusades, parse out that question and be clear about what's being asked. The word ungrateful is clear enough, and thankful. The penitent perhaps is not so clear. The penitent means unrepentant. It means that a person simply doesn't care about the sins they've committed. They never have any second thoughts about the sins they've committed. They just go on living a sinful life without confessing their sins to God and keeping his that's also captured with the word walk of life. This is about a pattern, a way of life, something that characterizes our life. The answer is emphatic, I will. And then follows a paraphrase of a number of scripture passages, including the one we read from earlier this morning. People who live in sin, who have a sinful way of life, and never repent and turn to Christ, be saved from the wrath of God. It's a serious warning. Think. If we're living a sinful life, the implication is that we have not turned to Christ. This goes back to the image of the vine and the branches. Grafted into the vine is Christ by faith. But that graft does not really take us but fruit says sorry, if that graft has really taken then fruit will inevitably follow. If there is no fruit, the logical conclusion is that the graft has not taken. There is no faith in Christ. That's why living in sin is not a matter first of all of discerning the lifestyle of the people who need to hear more about what they have to do. Living in sin is a matter of understanding, of not fully yielding to Christ. Willing to hear and believe the gospel Hebrews 12, verse 14 tells us, Make every effort to live at peace with all men. Hold peace without opening the door for Without saying that we know what it means to hold peace. Beloved, holiness begins with Christ being grafted into the life. That grafting opens our eyes to the truth of the word. So that when the word tells us that we should live in a certain way, union with Christ makes our hearts pliable and stretchable so that the scriptures become become Christ's living image and image. That's what happened in the church of Corinth. Though there were problems in that church, after Paul gives that list of types of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, he adds, that's what some of you were when you were transformed. But note that they did not transform themselves. All of these sons were united to Christ by the Spirit working faith in them, and that changed their lives. They are no longer sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. Faith in Christ, believing the gospel, is what made all the difference for them 
Thank you. 